This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we talk about books and the headlines and recommend to you new reads. I'm Towen Lee and I'm here today with my co-host, Olivia Ho. Hello. Today we're going to discuss two exciting new novels about Asians and diaspora who know the rules and how to break them. They are Portrait of a Thief by American writer Grace D. Lee, in which five young Chinese-Americans plot a daring heist, and Counterfeit by Singaporean Kirsten Chen, the story of a Stanford University alumna who gets herself entangled in a counterfeit handbag scheme. Olivia, you like caper stories, don't you? I love caper stories. Heist, heist, baby. <laughs> Mostly you see all these caper stories on screen with movies like Ocean's Eleven, with TV shows like Leverage and Lupin, which has been all the rage recently. Uh, but last year we had Colson Whitehead's splendid 1960s heist novel, Harlem Shuffle, which I loved. So it's one of those very fun genres where a lot of the joy is derived from tropes and how they're deployed, whether this is faithfully or subversively. So, you know, you've got the assembly montage where you get to see who is on the crew, uh, the mastermind, the grifter, the hacker, the driver, the insight man. So all these archetypes and how they're brought together. Then you go through the preparation, the actual execution of the heist, and usually something will go wrong. Or does it actually go wrong? And then there's a replay, and then it turns out, you know, that actually it's been part of the plan all along. Um, So this is a genre where it relies on tricking the reader or the viewer, and they love it when you manage to pull it off. So Portrait of a Thief is very aware of this genre heritage, and it often references it in the text. But it's also trying to do something else, which is to throw in some post-colonial discourse. It's based on a series of actual thefts of Chinese art that did occur in Europe in recent years. The novel begins with Will Chen, who is a Harvard University art history student, and he's witnessing the very brazen robbery of Chinese art from this Boston museum. And one of the thieves leaves him a note, which, uh, when he follows it, leads him to a cryptic Chinese corporation, and they make him an offer. The offer is this, retrieve five Chinese sculptures from Western museums around the world in exchange for US $50 million, basically. And these aren't just any sculptures. They are five of the animal zodiac heads, which came from a fountain in the old summer palace of Beijing. Uh, These were looted in 1860 when the British and French invading forces burned the summer palace to the ground. And this is a real historical theft that China has never gotten over. Mm. And so in the novel, this mysterious Chinese billionaire who is part of China's uh, four die, second generation wealth, um, very, very wealthy people, she asks Will to basically steal back what the West took. So Will assembles his own heist team, and uh, so they follow all the usual archetypes. He is the mastermind, his sister Irene is the grifter, and so on. Except that they're all in their 20s, and most of them are university students, and they're the American children of Chinese immigrants, and none of them has ever committed a crime before, or at least, you know, they've not been caught for it. So among his team are his sister, Irene, who is a public policy major, and she spent years honing her gift for making the world cleave to her, for getting people to do what she wants. Um, They've got their childhood friend, Daniel Liang, who is the estranged son of a federal FBI agent. 
Uh, rounding out the team is Lily Wu, who is Irene's daredevil roommate who races cars by night for fun. And uh, Will's old flame Alex Huang, who left MIT for a Silicon Valley job as a software engineer to keep her family's restaurant afloat. And everything that they know from heists comes from either historical research or Ocean's Eleven or Fast and the Furious. <laughs> another underrated heist franchise, um, that they might succeed is improbable. But, you know, um, stranger than fiction. This, these are actually based on real-life real life heists that did happen. So I was very excited about this novel because uh, while there are Asian heist movies, I'm thinking particularly of uh, Choi Dong-hoon's Korean films like uh, Taza, The High Rollers, and The Thieves, which is this amazing a team of uh, thieves from Korea, China, and so on. Uh, there hasn't really been an all Asian spin in the Anglo American milieu quite like this. And I did love it, but also it left me wanting more. So I'll explain why this is in a bit. Um, Lee's prose, she's unusually lyrical given the genre. So she writes with this very painterly eye, you know, with the, she says things like charcoal motion, cadmium yellow flowers, and everything is very beautiful. So um, she likes to, you know, talk about things like the slow, complicated matter of peeling a museum apart. But for the genre that this is working in, that doesn't really work because a heist novel needs to be pretty pretty slick. It has to move very fast. Uh, so the pacing is off. She's also very prone to repetition, to drive home her point. So she always repeats things like, uh, you know, Will is very idealistic. He's very noble. Uh, Alex has this imposter syndrome. Uh, Lily constantly feels like she's got to run away. And she feels like she has to repeat this a lot to shape all these characters out. And this slows down what could otherwise be a slickly delivered story. And uh, she does flesh out her characters quite well. Uh, they're all caught between America and China. They've got a foot in either culture, but they don't really belong. And she is quite careful not to draw this clear-cut binary between East and West and bad and good. Uh, they are, for instance, under no illusions that they will receive Chinese protection if they are caught. And Irene makes the point that China, too, can, she says, take and take and take. But the novel does not delve further into this issue of Chinese imperialism, uh, which may leave it a little unbalanced in its ideals. But nevertheless, uh, the painful debate over whether museums should repatriate looted artifacts continues to rage in reality. And so here, at least in this novel, you can get some fictional satisfaction. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. On to our next book, Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen. The protagonist is Ava Wong, an Asian-American woman who has played by the rules all her life. She has a Stanford University law degree, a husband who is a surgeon, and an adorable two-year-old son. But beneath this facade, Ava is a mess. So her marriage is crumbling. This child that she gave up her high-flying career for is driving her nuts. So into this mess of Ava's life comes her old college roommate, Winnie Fang. She waltzes back in after 20 years of not seeing Ava. She's got a broken handbag on her arm. And she's got this lucrative, if less than legal, proposition that for Ava. And Ava is, of course, in this perfect position to take the bait. 
So what Winnie does is import counterfeit luxury handbags from China to the U.S. and swap them from the real deal using the generous returns policy of department stores. And then she will resell the originals online at a discount. I'm going to read a part from the book to explain how she does this. In the beginning, hers was a one-woman operation. She opened a slew of credit cards under slightly different names to spread out her purchases and subsequent returns. Winnie Fang Lewis. Winnie Winnie Fang, Winnie W.Y. Lewis. And then she went shopping at Neiman's, Saks, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's. She started with a classic workhorse bag, the Longchamp Le Pliage. You know the one I'm talking about. I'm certain you'd recognize it. It's the rather flimsy nylon tote that folds up into a little square. Comes in just about every color you can think of, from violet to avocado to peach, and scarily trivial to copy. In fact, if you stand outside on the street for about an hour, I bet how half dozen of them, real and fake, would pass you by. Those early days, Winnie moved through so many of those bags, she set up monthly shipments from China, certain she'd put them all to use. From Longchamp, she moved on to the long-standing Louis Vuitton monogram canvas styles, your Speedies and Noes and Almas, and then on to Prada, Gucci, Chanel, Dior. Within a year, she'd amassed a small army of shoppers who surged across the country, snapping up luxury handbags as though they were socks. You already know where she found these young Asian women online, in those forums for bag fanatics, and then through personal referrals, always careful to hide her identity. The work was more grueling than it sounds. She flew back and forth between Guangzhou and Los Angeles, personally vetting every unit, haggling for every cent. After she conquered the classic style, she branched into the more exclusive, and therefore more lucrative, seasonal and even limited edition purses, which required a whole different tier of supplier. And then a year and a half into her life as an international businesswoman, with monthly revenue clearing a hundred grand, her application for American citizenship was accepted, grounding her in the U.S. until the requisite interviews and appointments were completed. So this is where Ava comes in, because Winnie is stuck in America. She needs this American partner that she can trust to go to China on her behalf. And this person has to be tax law savvy, which Ava does happen to be. And so that's where Ava is dragged into the scheme. Or so it seems. What an ingenious scheme it sounds like. And I think Kirsten did say in her interview with ST that she was drawing in an actual counterfeit scheme that unfolded in the US involving the most um, involving a seemingly unlikely um, criminal who is a Thai, a Thai preschool teacher in the US. So it's quite yeah. interesting and both of these are semi based on actual actual crimes. They are. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, very topical issues. So this is Kirsten Chen's third novel after her flavorful family drama Soy Sauce for Beginners in 2014 and her historical novel Bury What We Cannot Take in 2018, which scored a Singapore Literature Prize nomination. But I think that in Counterfeit, she really levels up. So this is such a propulsive yarn. I finished it in about one hour on the plane. Um, it was so clever. It's She so deftly manipulates it. It's full of sleight of hand when you look at it closely. And it draws the reader into this gleaming world of duplicates from these vast replica stuff shopping complexes in Guangzhou to these black market factories in Dongguan. And she seductively renders material allure on the page, you know, this the lemon yellow of the Longchamp Le Pliage, the buttery calfskin Chanel clutches. There's this 
rare crocodile Birkin 25 that features. And she describes it the color of blood, the color of rubies. So you can tell this... Uh, this person loves handbags, and uh, I think if you love, if if you like this kind of stuff, you'd be really into this. But at the novel's heart, what it's really about is you know these women, these complex leading women. So there's Ava, who is trying to satisfy the expectations of her immigrant parents and, you know, live this perfect life. And Winnie, who was from Xiamen, and she just clawed her way out of it by scamming her way to the top. And they're flawed and they're messy and they're amoral. And it's very hard not to admire how hard they hustle for their version of the American dream. So at one point, Winnie tells Ava that a Harvard degree is not so different from a designer handbag. They signal that you're part of the club. They open doors. So who gets to say what is real and what isn't real? You know, what distinguishes a $40,000 branded handbag and it's nearly indistinguishable copy at a fraction of the price? And so what Chen is doing is that she's laying bare late-stage capitalist society. It's a system of status symbols. And belonging to the system is, you know, she establishes it to be superficial. And she's saying, what if the dream that you were sold was a lie, then why not rig the game? Yeah, in both cases, you're really just paying for a brand, aren't you? <laughs> so Asians in America now often described as a model minority, which of course is problematic. It reduces this really large, diverse group of about 20 million people to a handful of stereotypes, um, including you know, being academically high-achieving, rule-abiding, even docile. I really like how Chen and many other Asian authors at the moment seem to be unpacking this myth of the model minority, fleshing out their characters in all their complexity. And even Winnie seem kind of similar on the surface, you know, ostensibly ethnically Chinese women in America, but they're also such different characters. Um, at the same time, it challenges Asian people's preconceived notions about each other, the novel does. Um, Ava assumes that Winnie cheated in the SATs, that she bought her SAT score. But it turns out she didn't. The SATs were just too easy. That test is a joke, Winnie says, and I think many of us who have taken it would agree. I've been really fascinated recently by what seems to be this wave of Asians in diaspora crime fiction. So last year, we had this Asian Western called The Thousand Crimes of Ming Zhu by Tom Lin. And then there was the madcap murder mystery, Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto, which I enjoyed greatly. Uh, in, in it, this young Indonesian-American woman tries to cover up her accidental murder of her creepy date with the help of her mother and her three aunts. And then this year, there's been Counterfeit, Portrait of a Thief, uh, the dark comedy, The Family Child by Lan Samantha Chang, and a Sutanto sequel, Four Aunties and a Wedding. And then on screen, there's been this, uh, there's this upcoming Netflix gangster drama, The Brothers Soon, and it's starring Michelle Yeoh, so quite excited about that. So this has been a very interesting evolution from the crazy rich Asians trend, which, uh, according to a lot of people, is what opened doors in Hollywood for Asian representation, particularly East Asian and Southeast Asian representation. Uh, and first you had the rom-com Asians, like uh, Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Helen Hong's The Bright Test, The Kiss Quotient uh, novels, uh, even Bridgerton season two. And then you had the superhero Asians with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Ms. Marvel, everything everywhere all at once. 
And then now you have these Asians who are bending the rules and busting the model minority myth. And on the surface, this is um, fun caper fiction, but these novels are also in their own way pushing back against years of submissive stereotyping and colonialist caricature. And they're introducing further complexity into the way that publishing and the media portray Asians and especially Asians in diaspora. And it does seem to be gathering steam because Counterfeit is a New York Times bestseller and it's a book club pig by Reese Witherspoon. And it and Portrait of a Thief have both been optioned for TV even before the books came out. So we can look forward to seeing some of that heist action on screen soon. How exciting. Anyway, that's all we have for you this episode. Once again, thank you for listening to us. I'm To Wen Lee. And I'm Olivia Ho. You have been listening to our Bookmark This podcast. We'll catch you next time. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.